Welcome to Illegal Double Team. We are Jonathan and Christina Snowden, and we love professional wrestling. Hi, Jonathan. Welcome back. Yes. It's been several months. It's definitely not just been like a day since we recorded this and accidentally erased it. Definitely not. That is true, but it will have been a couple months since anyone else heard us. I got to say that last one, the the one that's lost to time, man, that was good. You think it was the best ever? It was ever? the best one we've ever done. Oh, man. Well, what a lot of pressure now. <laughs> Well, we are going to do our uh, our top five as normal and from WrestleMania week. Yes. Because I'm, I mean, people say WrestleMania weekend, but at this point it's WrestleMania week, WrestleMania season even. It's true. And then, uh, you know, WrestleMania tends to like create like an energy that the, the, the entire sport, I think, uh, kind of grabs a hold mm-hmm. of. So like the, the weeks afterwards are also pretty exciting. So hopefully sure. we'll be back uh, here doing another one shortly. Uh, fingers crossed. Five, four, three, two, one, fire. Now we will start with our number five. This is Ring of Honor, Super Part of Honor. This was my second favorite show of the entire WrestleMania week. Um, First, it's our introduction to Ring of Honor in the Tony Khan era. Um, so I liked that we got some idea of maybe what Ring of Honor is going to look like going forward. I mean, we don't know yet like if they're going to do regular shows or how often or if they're going to travel or anything like that. But we did get an idea of like what you might be able to expect from a big Ring of Honor show. Right, and, and what we should expect, I guess, with this as the precedent, is uh, some stuff that's pretty exciting. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was great. It started with, like, three matches in the pre-show, which is, like, I mean, that's crazy. And it started with Cole Cabana, you know, a, a modern Ring of Honor stable, against Blake Christian with, I thought it was just a really fantastic match. And then it just flowed from there. Um, we got to see Swerve and Alex Zane, which was... Uh, you know, it's a particular style. You know what you're going to get, but it was very well done. Uh, we saw Ninja Mac debut for Ring of Honor, which is uh, pretty amusing. Uh, unfortunately, he had to face uh, Brian Cage, who is Tully Blanchard's newest, uh, I don't know what you call him. Client. Client, I guess. Um, we got to see Jay Lethal versus Lee Moriarty, uh, which was a, a great match and also introduced something that's relevant now not only for Ring of Honor, but for all, also for AEW, um, Lethal lost all his honor. That's true. I mean, he started with the handshake, but it was uh, downhill from there. Yeah. So a, a really an official Lethal heel turn. Um, we got to see Briscoes versus FTR, which we're going to actually talk about later on this list. Um, but this was an absolutely amazing tag match and without a doubt my favorite match of the entire wrestlemania week we'll be in discussion i'm sure for a match of the year when when it all is said and done suzuki is now the roh television champion uh wheeler yuda versus josh woods in a a pure championship match wheeler yuda is now the ring of honor pure champion um i really like this about the show that there were a lot of different styles on this show um because I, I, I do think that Ring of Honor maybe has been associated very closely with like one particular style of wrestling. But this show, I think, actually showcased a lot of different styles. 
Right. Yeah. So Ring of Honor, of course, has kind of predominantly been, um, I don't know, tied to the the modern work rate style. Mm-hmm. So like kind of like the style that you see in almost every wrestling company now. Right. Uh, it comes from Ring of Honor. But, you know, that's sometimes at the expense of having like uh, heated brawls or like, right. you know, big men matches. And, you know, they've, they've done all kinds of stuff over the years. But for the most part, they're they're kind of best known for like your turn, my turn, work rate style wrestling. And and this show, I think, did have kind of a, a, a different feel to it, a little bit of kind of uh, the the AEW kind of style, uh, not of wrestling, but right. of, of promoting where, mm-hmm. you know, you get a little bit of everything. Right. And so um, I'm, I'm kind of gung-ho for, for seeing what they do uh, going forward in the, the Tony Khan era. Um, you know, we had uh, subscribed to Ring of Honor's Honor Club at the, the worst possible time right. to, to do so previously, yeah. you know. <clears throat> We had uh, subscribed for an entire year, um, just as COVID hit. Oh, actually, before that, like, so we got we subscribed, and everything was going really great, and then all of the elite left, and there right. was quite there was quite an exodus of talent uh, from Ring of Honor. Um, but we were still, you know, enjoying the shows and ticking along, um, you know, maybe debating. But before we really had a chance to um, even think about whether or not we were going to renew, it auto-renewed for like a whole year. <laughs> yeah, and we, we, we got, were like, got. oh, well, you know, we'll see what happens. And then COVID hit and nothing happened. And they were like the one promotion that didn't run any shows I mean, just in, disappeared. in the COVID era. Right. So, um, yeah, so I, I've long been interested in in. in kind of exploring the archives of Ring of Honor is part of the reason I think we subscribed to this is because we wanted to watch some of the older stuff. And I even put on like my journalism cap uh, in kind of a, a selfish way uh, to ask some questions about the archives of the old Ring of Honor uh, owners. Uh, selfishly, because I wanted to know if they right, were going right. to have more arc- more of the older shows mm-hmm. available. And, you know, they've been promising for a long time that they would. But there's the they had the the difficulty of um, uh, a lot of the earlier shows. Uh, you they use music that they don't have rights to. Okay. And so that's fine when you're live and, and displaying something live mm-hmm. on television or in the arena. Right. There's certain um, you know allowances if sure. it's just played live over the PA system. But uh, once you put it onto some kind of permanent tape, then you owe the the musician some kind of royalty. So uh, long story short, too late. Um, they were going in and trying to remove all that music. So, but they have to remove it from the beginning. And then if they played it at the end of the match for the winner, they have to remove it then. And, you know, it's just kind of like this huge process Mm -hmm. that um, is kind of time consuming and also, you know, requires uh, some level of expense. Someone has to go in there and physically uh, remove that music. Um, You know, if it's WWE or someone there, they, insert a different music track instead. I'm right. not sure what Ring of Honor was doing, but either way, that takes a, a physical uh, human being to to do some things. Mm-hmm. And so um, long, it just wasn't, they were they just weren't getting it done. Right. Um, so uh, I'm hoping that Tony Khan, of course, has the resources in mind that he could make this happen a little faster. Yeah, I certainly hope so. And everyone is kind of thinking that beyond just putting on great live shows like this one, um, you know, this will be the Ring of Honor archives will be part of uh, some eventual kind of streaming deal that AEW strikes with uh, whoever, you know, Turner Media, maybe. I don't mm-hmm. know what, what their offerings are, but right. it, it certainly now gives them 
a, a promotion with a 20-year history to, to play with. That's right. And uh, a lot of that history involves now many of their top acts mm-hmm. because um, the kind of the culminating moment of this show, which yes. we haven't mentioned yet, right. was the uh, the reappearance, the emergence of Samoa Joe. That's right. The main event with, was Jonathan Gresham versus Bandito to get our um, undisputed Ring of Honor champion, who is now Jonathan Gresham. And... That was followed by an attack by now heel lethal, um, then further followed by Samoa Joe coming out, um, you know, to you know put lethal straight, or at least try to, um, and then immediately followed by finding out that Samoa Joe is all elite, um, and this is what I'm talking about getting into this Tony Khan era of Ring of Honor and trying to figure out what it means. Well, one of the things that we know it means is crossover. Because next week we're looking at uh, Samoa Joe facing Suzuki for that Ring of Honor television title. On social media, we have CM Punk calling out Ring of Honor champion Jonathan Gresham. Like, we see that there is going to be crossover. Yeah, it's, a, it's pretty exciting. And so what the, the, the library, the archive of Ring of Honor shows allows AEW to do is the historical retrospectives, if they want to, mm-hmm. of uh, what are now many of their, their top acts. That's right. So you're looking at CM Punk and Brian Danielson and Samoa Joe now. Um, they were, those are kind of the three pillars. Um, maybe that's why Ring of Honor always felt so unsteady is because they only had three pillars. But... Um, <laughs> You know the well. Of the, course, we have Lethal, who's a more modern pillar for Ring of Honor. Sure, um, if you want to put Jay Lethal in that group, <laughs> you can. I did not. Um, right, well, there are different eras of Ring of Honor. Sure, um, but you know, of those guys that AEW is promoting heavily, if they wanted to do like a documentary or something, uh, they now suddenly own like most of like the 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 matches that kind of help those people become stars uh, with, with punk and Joe and and Danielson. So that's really exciting. And just the opportunity to see these matches, like we've gone through and and watched some of them because I uh, acquired a a bootleg collection of every ring of honor show um, before I knew that uh, our good friend, Tony was going to acquire it and perhaps (laughs) make them legally available. Anyway, um, We've seen, and now you've seen some of these like old Brian Danielson matches, and, and they're pretty astounding even to this day. Yeah. I mean, I will admit my focus has primarily been on old Kenny Omega matches. They're also great. <laughs> no, that's true. And so, the, you know, beyond just, um, I wouldn't say it has like the the most important uh, developmental matches of Kenny Omega or the Young Bucks career. Right. Because, you know, they've done things elsewhere. Sure. Uh, Kenny and DDT in, in New Japan and everyone in Pro Wrestling Gorilla and stuff. But, you know, they all have had a significant run in, in Ring of Honor to include uh, Hangman Adam Page yep. and Adam Cole and Cody Rhodes, uh, should you choose to do something with him. Um, <laughs> you know, it's just a, a lot. You know, yeah. a lot of the people that are a big part of AEW have a, a long storied history in, in Ring of Honor. And it'll be cool to see how they use this acquisition to... Uh, make cool things for us to enjoy. All right, we'll move on to number four, and this one's going to be um, primarily you, um, and that's uh, Sami Zayn versus Johnny Knoxville, WrestleMania Night Two. And it's not that I didn't enjoy this match; I did. It was fun, but you loved it. I did. I thought it was so much fun to to watch this. Uh, Sami Zayn. Um, you've probably heard us talk about him on the podcast before. He's probably uh, you know my favorite WWE performer. He's just a genius pro wrestler, I think, on every level, both in the ring and also uh, 
the skits and, and just kind of like the, the zany madcap energy he presents, um, are, are fantastic. And, uh, Johnny Knoxville kind of matches that energy. Johnny Knoxville, if you don't know, is kind of the, the superstar who, uh, made jackass, uh, kind of a, a nationwide sensation for several years. Yeah. I mean, I will admit having zero familiarity with Johnny Knoxville or jackass and still, you know, really enjoying this Right. Map. So you, you've not consumed jackass as an entity, but, uh, you don't have zero, uh, familiarity with it because if you live on the planet, you do because, um, you know, all kinds of prep fall, uh, videos and people trying to do weird stunts and dropping things on their nuts and stuff. If you've seen videos of that on YouTube of kids doing crazy stuff, you're seeing the influence of Jackass. Oh, okay. Thanks, Jackass. Yeah. So <laughs> for, for good or for bad. I, I'm not saying it's like high art, but um, the the influence is inescapable, I think. You okay. Know, it's, um, it's kind of uh, seeped into the culture in some ways. Gotcha. So, um, Anyway, Johnny Knoxville matches Sammy's energy, I think, and and they ha- they combine to to do something I think really cool. Um, now, you know, there's been a lot of uh, really good celebrity matches in recent years in in WWE, mm-hmm. but this even was, just this weekend, even just this weekend, yeah, <laughs> with uh, Logan Paul really excelling, looking like a, a legitimate athlete, like someone who would have real potential as a pro wrestler. Less so Johnny Knoxville, but like for this kind of thing, mm-hmm. which was filled with like crazy stunts, like, you know, um, a bowling ball to the to the balls, uh, an automatic uh, kicking machine yeah, I like that. to the balls, <laughs> a cattle prod to the balls. Are <laughs> you getting the, the sense of it here? I, I am. Um, all kinds of um, mouse traps, which is kind of a jackass staple, a giant human sized mouse trap, like just all kinds of stuff. I think that my favorite moment was Sami Zayn running into an inexplicably large human hand, giant slapping hand that just uh, somehow he didn't notice. He didn't notice that, that um, was there? knocked him right over. Uh, just all these visual gags that were, were pretty tremendous. And I thought um, Sammy did a spectacular job of holding it all together mm-hmm. because there were a number of places uh, where it could have fallen apart. Right, right. Uh, and probably, frankly, did. Only, you know, they were they were able to, to bring it back in. That's right. And um, I don't know. I, I really enjoyed this. I, obviously, it's uh, fairly polarizing if you looked at the internet response. Um, most people on my timeline thought it was a lot of fun. Uh, apparently, like Uncle Dave Meltzer and others uh, of that ilk uh, found it, like, uh, so awful they could barely even speak of it. So... <laughs> I, I I don't know. I I, I thought it was great, uh, it, and it had the kind of energy um, for a, a, sh- a match that was early in the card like that. That I felt like kind of the energy it provided kind of propelled everything forward. Sure, sure. And that's like really good yeah. for what you want out of an undercard match, right? So like in a really long show, yeah. Yes. So, but um, it's a, it did it in a way that didn't compete with the rest of the card. So sometimes, like if you have a high energy undercard match. But the, those guys are doing all the same stuff yeah. that's going to be in the main event. Exactly. That's actually a negative. Mm-hmm. Instead, this was like nobody's doing an ECW plunder style match filled with jackass uh, spots. Right. Uh, so like this uh, gave us that uh, propelling energy, but not in a way that uh, hurt or competed with anything that followed it. So I don't know. Uh, I, I thought it was lovely. All right. Uh, moving on to number three. And this is basically all of WrestleMania night one, which was my favorite show of, of the whole weekend. Um, I think this is 
maybe a couple years in a row that now one of the nights of WrestleMania has taken the top spot. So, you know, good for you uh, being at the top of WrestleMania weekend again. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought that uh, uh, WWE had, did a great job over WrestleMania weekend yes. of, um, you know, of uh, presenting a show that left everyone feeling good at the end. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, I think, what they should be doing with this kind of uh, year-end or, or, you know, if if the WWE year runs WrestleMania to WrestleMania, it does. It's the it's the culmination. I mean, it is right? right. I mean, this is like this is like the season finale, and then the new season starts with the Raw after WrestleMania. Absolutely. I mean, that's how I've always thought. So of it. in this culminating moment, uh, you know, they they really delivered, and and that's what what you want to see. So um, we we've talked a little bit about this before, but I think that like. Um, it's okay sometimes for like the monthly pay-per-view to, to end on a down note or to be like not culminate in a way like a storyline doesn't have to end there. Sure. Right. It can just be pushed forward to the next month. Sure. Especially when you do a monthly pay-per-view. Exactly. So, and, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. But uh, WrestleMania should be treated differently. So uh, WrestleMania should be things coming to an end, not necessarily things beginning. And so uh, a lot of stuff came to an end here and in a fairly satisfying way. Mm-hmm. And WWE doesn't always deliver that. So we, we should be um, give them their props, I guess, right. when they do. Yeah, so um, I thought I was a little worried. The, the night started off a little bit slow. They had a couple of matches at the beginning that, you know, it's like not only did they not perform well, but it even just left me wondering, like, why are these WrestleMania matches? But everything began to turn around with the Logan Paul and Miz match. Um, this was, this is like one of those matches where like you go in and you're like, well, you know, it could be lousy, but I'm going to bet that it's not, you know, do you know what I'm saying? Like, so WWE is good enough. Like they're, they have good enough overall large production for you to understand that like, while it may not on paper look like something that you would necessarily enjoy, like they're not going to let it bomb entirely. Do you know what I'm saying? So I would have to say that's sort of the way that I went into the match. And then, of course, Logan Paul way over-delivered. Like he had no business looking so much like a wrestler, like performing so well as a wrestler. Um, Really eye-opening. Yeah, so I mean, this guy has it. You can say whatever you want about the the Paul brothers, but when they commit to something, whether it's boxing or YouTube shenanigans yes. or pro wrestling, mm-hmm. uh, they they really commit in a big oh, way. Oh yeah, lots of passion and clearly lots of hard work. Yeah, and and study even. So like you know, he's uh, Logan Paul and Miz are re- wrestling Rey Mysterio and, and Dominic Mysterio, and Logan Paul is hitting like heel beats where he's. Uh, Mocking the moves of uh, Eddie Guerrero, sure. their like friend and possibly mm-hmm. father for one of them, um, <laughs> and so like you know he's doing the Eddie Guerrero uh, shoulder shimmy mm-hmm. and he's doing the three amigos and he's doing a frog splash off the top rope. I mean this guy is like moving in and uh, in the ring like a real wrestler. Yeah, like his athleticism is crazy. Um, his look is good. Oh, he, yeah. he's uh, solidly built. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has natural. Uh, just this natural instinct for the camera, mm-hmm. I think. And so yeah. um, all in all, this was fantastic. Mm-hmm. I mean, just a, a really good, not just like, not even like as a caveat of like for a celebrity. No. Like this was good. And um, 
So last year there was all kinds of praise heaped on on Bad Bunny. Was that just last year? I think Holy it was cow. last year, um, <laughs> or maybe it was two years ago. Whenever Bad Bunny sure. was on, you know, they there was a lot of praise rightfully given to him because he clearly um, enjoyed it and um, and worked hard at it. Yeah, he did. But the the difference between Bad Bunny and Logan Paul is native athleticism. Yes, clearly. Like Bad Bunny is not a great athlete. Mm-mm. He's barely a functional athlete no try as he might he couldn't shake that natural awkwardness right yeah um logan paul is different Mm -mm. yeah he's more of an athlete than some of the wrestlers (laughs) almost anyone that we saw in on the indie scene over the weekend uh, (laughs) logan paul has more natural ability than they do yes i think so. he's a smoother worker than some of them night one yeah so um it's a little different scenario like this is like bad bunny um not accusing anyone of anything. It's Bad Bunny on steroids. Um, <laughs> and uh, I don't know. I thought the the whole thing was just a, a phenomenal display of what WWE is capable of when the company and the performers really turn their attention to um, delivering a well-thought-out match. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to see them do that for every match. Right, right. <laughs> but um, it's cool when they when they show what they, what they can do. Yeah, yeah. Um... We also we went to then on to Bianca Belair versus Becky Lynch, which was probably a top five match for the weekend for me. Um, we had Cody arrive in in WWE, and we'll talk a lot more about that a little later. Um, and then Kevin Owens and Stone Cold Steve Austin, and Stone Cold both nights it was just it was such a joy to to see him come back. Stone Cold was my favorite he was my favorite back you know years ago when I was watching wrestling the first time around um we've talked about it before like I cannot explain to you like why why I love Stone Cold Steve Austin so much like I can't quite pinpoint it exactly it's like a whole variety of things haven't you like had a lifetime crush on bald men (laughs) whether it was Skinner from the X-Files like everyone every other girl liked um, Fox Mulder but not (laughs) not Christina she's like Skinner that's my man um to Stone Cold, to the history professor we had in college (laughs) with the bald head Um, it's true it's true I, I do appreciate a bald head um but yeah, I mean, well, obviously, yes, it's his look. He's he's super hot. Um, it's also like I like his style of wrestling, but it's it's more than that. It's like everything that he does, even when he's, you know, being angry and mean, is still like just sort of naturally infused with this like twinkling joy. Um, it's there. If you look, you will see it. And that's part of the reason why I have always always gotten so angry at all of the Stone Cold Steve Austin toys that they make, all the figures, because they cannot capture it. There's something wrong with his face in every sculpt I've ever seen. And what they're missing is like they're missing like that you can see that joy in his face and his eyes um, in wrestling. And, and they just, they can't get it into the sculpt and it drives me insane. I'm always like, you'll, you'll pick up a new figure and I'll just be like, nope, that's not him. That I don't know who that is. That's not Stone Cold Steve Austin. And, um, I was just happy to see that it was still there. It was still there when he was working with Kevin Owens. It was still there when he was facing off in the ring, uh, with Mr. McMahon. Um, just left me so happy. 
so yeah, no one really knew exactly what was going to happen with Stone Cold. They hadn't necessarily mentioned that he would have a match. Nope. We knew he would come down and confront Kevin Owens in some form. Yeah, I mean, we know that Stone Cold Steve Austin is not only old, but he's his knees have been shot. His knees were shot back when I was watching him 20 plus years ago. Um, and, you know, he's had a variety of other injuries, neck injuries and whatnot. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, you have to like... Um, you know, tamp down your but expectations. When, when the the glass broke and you saw him on the ramp and he's wearing these two industrial <laughs> sized knee braces, I was like, oh wow, he's gonna yeah, try. He came he, out with the bionic he, knees. He's gonna try to do this. Yeah, and and he did, and it was a little questionable at first, where mm-hmm. you could see he wasn't entirely comfortable. Right, right. He was delivering uh, for him some very soft stomps mm-hmm. in the in the corner, where it was like you could tell. Having been someone that's uh, older and had some injuries, like he's wondering, is is, is this going to hold up? Right. Like, right. is my knee about to collapse if I <laughs> put my weight on one leg? You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and then eventually, uh, he kind of like lost those inhibitions, mm-hmm. maybe just because he realized, no, I, I'm going to be okay. Yeah, or their adrenaline kicked in. That helps a lot. Yeah, and but um, when they moved outside the ring and into the crowd, I like immediately turned to you and I was like, oh. You know, he's got it. He's in his rhythm now. It's like, this is this is Stone Cold Steve Austin. Yeah, those weird uh, hip turns when he throws those punches and stuff. <laughs> like, it was just uh, vintage Austin. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Owens working his ass off. Yes, to, he was. To, um, he did great. To, to sell for the guy and, and kind of um, hold down the, the any of the, the physically difficult parts yeah, of the match, sure. you know, as he should, right? That's right. kind of why he's there. Um, the whole thing was great. And then the next night, of course, although this is about night one, you know, they, it was almost like the, the culmination finally, after 25 years of the attitude era, you know, uh, Vince McMahon comes out, um, to, to Raz Pat McAfee after McAfee had a blow the roof off the joint performance. Great job. Great job. He kind of like displayed, um, something that sometimes we forget, which is like, um, he's a world-class athlete, yes, he's an NFL player, like even your punters and stuff like that. They, those are elite athletes. And you realize that as like Pat McAfee, the goofball announcer goes leaping up onto the top rope, smooth as can um, be just like in one jump, yes. like a box jump. Style. Yes. So um, smooth. And anyway, he was getting, uh, learning a lot being taught a and lesson the balance that you need for that it's just amazing mcmahon is then challenged mcafee and it, it culminated with austin coming out to face uh vince mcmahon mm-hmm. uh, hopefully for, a, for the final time in a wrestling ring i would think gave him the world's worst stone cold stunner <laughs> slash am- best amazing stunner ever. which <laughs> mcmahon like almost fell over 12 times austin couldn't quite grab him he was laughing uh then he actually hit it and then like uh it was like McMahon like slithered down almost like his legs just kind of collapsed on him the whole time. You're just thinking like, I hope Vince isn't dead. Uh, Yep. There's like quads are still intact. We have no idea what's actually happening. Apparently he's okay. Um, (laughs) And and it just felt like, like the end finally, like the attitude era was so successful that um, it felt like it has dominated WWE's wrestling presentation uh, ever since for 20 years since it's been over. Yeah. Um, you know, either they were, they went immediately into nostalgia mode for it, mm-hmm. or or they were trying to recreate it or relive yeah. it, like just kind of like the energy that it had. They've been trying to duplicate. Oh yeah, um, I mean, we talk about it all the time. We talk about 
um, you know, things about wrestling, whether it's like, whether it's styles or attitudes or, um, you know, or like you said, some, some of the like sentimentality and, and we talk about how the, I mean, it's like the attitude era is, it just, it will not leave. Like it, it will not leave because I think part of the reason is, is it was such a formative part of current wrestlers wrestling fandom. Right. Like, it, I mean, it just was like, you just, you can't get away from that. And I do suppose that as we start getting into an era where people coming into wrestling don't really know that much about the attitude era, then maybe we can get away from some of this nostalgia. And, and like you said, the sentimentality around it. I mean, it's really literally been 25 years if you count like 1997. Right. But if you're a 35 year old wrestler, you were 10 watching all that. And that is a formative part of your life for sure. And you know, your wrestling fandom. But so, you you know, you start the night, uh, night two with triple H, uh, leaving his boots in the ring Mm -hmm. to, to symbolize his retirement. Right. We had the, uh, undertaker the previous, uh, Friday go into the hall of fame. You have Stone Cold and Vince McMahon have this final moment in the mm-hmm. ring. And I'm just kind of hoping that um, we can just say goodbye now yep. to the Attitude Era and, and move our uh, wrestling's kind of focus in, in a different direction. Because yeah. it's not the 90s, um, you know, culturally and in, in, in every way, aesthetically, like things are different. Right. And if you're trying to present something that feels like the late 90s, that's not going to hit with a lot of people. Sure. Um I say that, of course, next year, probably The Rock's going to show up. <laughs> we'll, we'll never be fully done with it. Right, right. But um, it, it did feel like a good goodbye. Like yeah. it, it was a nice, like, um, I, I would not want, as great as he was both nights, I wouldn't want to see Stone Cold do another match. No, no, unnecessary. Like this was let's, perfect. Let's leave it. You could not have delivered it better than this. Yeah. And and um, I don't know. I, it left me feeling good both nights. Yeah. All right, we'll move on to number two. Number two, we said we get back to this. Cody's debut slash return to WWE. Um, everything about it from the move and the speculation around it and then his return and the match and the crowd reaction and his promo on Raw. Um, I just thought it killed. I mean, for me, it would be number one. Um, but I'm obviously the junior partner in the podcast. Um, I thought it was fantastic. You know, we, we didn't know like right up to the moment if it was going to be. Yeah. You couldn't know for sure. You know, there was some debate within the the dirt sheets. The dirt sheets were doing a gimmick where they both said Cody was signing with WWE, but also said, but maybe he's not. Oh, but maybe he's not. Just in case, you know, so you can be correct and no matter how it goes. That's that's the key. To, I still just do not understand why anybody reads that stuff. But that's the key to dirt okay. cheating is to like uh, say so dirt many, cheating to say so many different things and have so many caveats <laughs> that there's it is it is actually you are incapable of being wrong because gotcha. you've been right at some point yeah, in the process. That's right. So we didn't know if it was Cody. We all thought it was Cody. Mm-hmm. The audience thought the it crowd was Cody. wanted Cody for but sure. It's WWE. So you always have to be prepared uh, for huge disappointments. Uh, so it may not have been Cody. Right. That's the only part of the main reason you would think maybe it's not going to be Cody is because it was WWE. Yeah, they do put that little bit of yeah. doubt in your Because if anybody was going to fuck it up, they, they would be the ones. So, um, 
but uh, so there was some, you know, the Undertaker had said it is his Hall of Fame. Like, maybe this isn't my last match. So then some people were like, oh, is it the Undertaker that's going to come out? Oh, my God. Uh, you know, <laughs> is it going to be Shane McMahon? You know, nobody knew for sure. But all of a sudden mm-hmm. it says, you know, wrestling has more than one royal yeah. family. And the crowd went bonkers. Yeah. And not only is it Cody Rhodes returning to WWE, but it is Cody Rhodes. Yes. The character... From AEW. It is AEW's Cody Rhodes. Cody Rhodes with his elevator up through the smoke. Yeah. Well, one, first you got to start even before the music with more pyro than anybody else. Of course. It's Cody Rhodes. Cody Rhodes. That should have been your first sign. It was for us. Yes. Immediately we were like, that's a lot of pyro. That's 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 Cody and Jacksonville (laughs) pyro. That's Cody level pyro right there. (laughs) And then the the song hits Mm -hmm. and he comes up through the elevator. Yes. He's in his Homelander outfit. Yeah. And I'm telling you, every one of these beats, you heard a louder roar from the crowd. So this crowd wanted and knew AEW Cody and all the things that go with him. Yes, it was huge. It, it was a huge moment for Cody. Mm-hmm. It's big for WWE, which signed him to an enormous contract. Um, so, uh, you know, they, they have to be happy with the return so far. And then I think it's big for AEW because it's uh, it's it's all about uh, how it's presented. Mm-hmm. And so you take like, you know, we were talking about Ring of Honor before. When WWE signs a big ring of honor star uh typically like you know they don't treat them with like the that kind of respect right they typically they start in the developmental leagues yes. or whatever you know what i mean right so like you know even like brian danielson the greatest ring of honor independent wrestling star of all time mm-hmm. comes into wwe and they're like nobody knows brian danielson you're daniel bryan now hey cody was in that match against uh tyler black Yes. Except for he comes to WWE and they're like, nobody knows Tyler Black. So we're just going to give him a new name. Yeah, he's Seth Rollins now. <laughs> now, some names are so cool like CM Punk that you just have to keep them. But like, um, <laughs> the thing is, it's like, you know, it's not it's not necessarily f- typical for WWE to acknowledge the past. Mm-hmm. But here they are. They, they are just assuming that, you know, AEW's Cody Rhodes. And part of the reason that we're signing him mm-hmm. uh, is because he's AEW's right. Cody Rhodes. And that's like, that makes you realize AEW has made it. Like AEW should be feeling pretty good. Like yeah. you can say whatever you want about this company is not our competition. Right. You are treating them as if they matter. Yeah. So um, the entrance was perfect. Um the crowd was into it. Cody was obviously into it. And then the match hit. And, you know, that's always kind of like going to be the question mark. Oh, yeah. I and saw quite a few people picking this as their favorite match of the week. I like mean, it, it delivered. As it far was, as a, a Cody Rhodes match, like it hit every beat of a Cody Rhodes match. Yeah, but, you know, for me, I think I, one of the reasons that I liked it so much is because so rarely do you get to see two high-level stars on WWE just have a match like just a match like just a match with a finish a match like i that's the part about wwe that drives me crazy and it's the reason that i don't watch their weekly programming um they just gave us like a really great match they gave it time um you know they they allowed cody to hit a lot of you know i guess you'd call them like story beats you know like sort of saying goodbye to stardust and um, you know, hitting, you know, all the moves that you've come to expect from AEW Cody Rhodes and the crowd knew them. Like, you know, they roared louder 
And yeah, so I, I was just, I was really impressed because you do always have that in the back of your mind that like, because of their arrogance and their sort of pettiness, like WWE is going to mess this up. They really went out of their way to make sure that they didn't mess this up. Right. And then, <laughs> uh, like we talked about, the, the Raw after uh, WrestleMania is kind of a reset. Mm-hmm. This is where we're going from here. And they opened that show with Cody Rhodes on the microphone. For a while. Uh, for a long time. He getting, did very well. In the Triple H spot of the 20-minute opening promo. I felt like, the, from what I could hear and what I could see, the crowd reacted very, very well to to his that style of promo and that character that that Cody is in the ring which is looking quite a bit different from anything WWE has right yeah, now. Yeah, definitely. So like uh sometimes like, you know, Cody's promos which are like both his strong point and to some his weakness, um I I thought like this was a Cody Rhodes promo, not a WWE promo mm-hmm. in that like um there were like meandering moments sure. like where, you know, you weren't sure where he was going, where are you going? and maybe it didn't get there. <laughs> and he went back to, to where, you know, where he was originally. Um, that's part of like um, wrestling promos as they've always been. It mm. felt like it, it almost is like a shot of nostalgia to hear Cody on the microphone because um, wrestling promos didn't used to be so carefully produced. And as much as like we love Dusty Rhodes, he was my first favorite wrestler when I was five years old. Um, and he's legendary for his promos. You can listen to a lot of Dusty Rhodes promos, and they're just like bullshit that goes nowhere. I mean, they're crazy. <laughs> for, for every classic, there's also some like, wow, that didn't quite work, did it? <laughs> um, and that's part of being a genius, right? Um, but like in, in this case, I thought Cody was allowed to go out and be Cody instead mm-hmm. of being like uh, WWE's Cody Rhodes. Mm-hmm. He was uh, able to go out and, and to be Cody Rhodes and deliver a very human uh, promo, which yeah. I think is his strength. I mean, I I like it. I love that. I love that they have got. I love that they're going to allow him um, to at least try to succeed, or you know, hopefully not, but possibly fail being who he is. Like they don't let very many people come in and do that. It's a potentially a very powerful story that they're working on, mm-hmm. which is um, you know. When, when we were kind of in our uh, formative wrestling years, Shawn Michaels uh, w- was pursuing his boyhood dream that was winning the WWF championship. Mm-hmm. And th- they presented that as kind of like a real uh, emotion, emotional like culmination. Uh, um, this is even like deeper, I think. Yeah. In that he's trying to uh, accomplish something uh in the name of his father, one yeah. of wrestling's largest legends who did not accomplish this of all the things that dusty Rhodes did and didn't do in the industry. And what he did do was pretty much everything. The more you look into it, uh, a star all around the country, the NWA champion, a big star in Japan, like, um, a genius level booker who came up with all these ideas. We still use like the war games and the great American bash and the, you know, the, all, all kinds of stuff mm-hmm. like dusty Rhodes fingerprints are all over wrestling. Right. Um, he was not WWF champion. Um, and Cody wants to, to pursue that both to honor his father, but also perhaps, mm-hmm. um, the subtext is like, I want to finally remove myself from this enormous shadow right, right. that I've been in my whole life. My brother was in his whole life. Right. Like if I do this, can I walk, in front once right right you know? um, yeah it's great it's it's multifaceted it's family legacy it's living up to your dad it's 
you know, actually kind of surpassing him so that again, you can walk alone. And I, you know, I like, I, you know, I like it. It felt like people were connecting with it. I put it out on Twitter and I'm going to put it out in the universe again, because I believe in like putting out there the things that you want. He specifically referenced the fact that his father was kept, um, from winning the, the, the championship in, in, in a match by the champion's advantage, which is something that as far as I know, or at least as far as the promotions I watch only WWE has, and I hate it. I cannot stand it. I think it is just the laziest booking in the world. If Cody Rhodes and WWE could be the catalyst for somehow WWE removing that from their rules after all these years, like, um, I, I would be so grateful. So You'd be my a, hero. There's some kind of level of irony there. Cause obviously if, um, for listeners who have watched wrestling for a long time, this is clearly not a WWE invention. And it, it, there's a finish in wrestling, wrestling kind of famously known as the Dusty finish, yes. the Dusty Rhodes, <laughs> uh, in which it appears a babyface wins the championship only to find out that, um, in fact, he or the champion had previously been disqualified that the the referee that got knocked down had seen the illegal action. Yes. And then now he's suddenly not the champion anymore. So obviously that's not a WWE invention. It's a cheap, a cheap way for uh, wrestling stories to continue. Yeah. Right? I'm just saying as of right now, I don't know that anybody else allows uh, champions to hold onto their belts on a DQ loss. And so um, for me, I think it's time to get rid of it. Like we do so many other, you know, we have so many other, there are so many other more creative ways to allow your heels to cheat and all that kind of stuff that when it comes down to the really important matches, the ones for the belts, like we don't need people holding onto their belts by cheating. I suppose we'll see. It's time to get rid of it. I think I'm it's, just putting it out there. It's asking enough for Cody to be able to get through <laughs> an emotional story driven, uh, kind of uh, angle in WWE um, to also like reinvent the way they do business. Maybe asking too much because <laughs> just doing the first is going to be hard. I would not assume that he would actually be behind that decision making, but it's, he could just merely be the face of it. It's very exciting. Um, I thought um, he's nailed it so far, both at WrestleMania uh, in the press that he did afterwards and then uh, on raw. So um, I'm very keen to see uh, his journey continue. All right, and my number one, and I guess you and I were had some debate on one and two, but for me, um, over the the whole week, I actually I picked FTR. I thought they had an amazing week with two absolutely incredible matches. That that you know we talk about AEW showcasing you know tag team wrestling or whatever, but I mean these guys really put it on their shoulders for the week to to really showcase the best tag team wrestling. Um, first with the Briscoes at that ROH uh, Supercard of Honor and then against the Bucks on Dynamite. Two amazing matches. Um, I You know, I picked them number one just because, you know, I think for me the end-all be-all is the matches and they had two incredible matches in a very short amount of time. 
just fantastic professional wrestling. And, you know, I, if you listen to the podcast, you'll know that I've long and always been a, a, a full-throated supporter of <laughs> That's FTR. Right. That's I've, right. I've, never wavered. I've never said fuck the revival. <laughs> I've never made fun of the way that they performatively pay tribute uh, to wrestling's past, <laughs> you know, in a hokey way. Um, actually, what I liked, I think, about the, the Briscoes match in, in particular is that, like, the there was none of that, um, whether that was their doing or, or the announcing of Ian Riccoboni and Caprice Coleman, mm-hmm. who maybe weren't quite as um, likely to to harp on it. Right. Like that just wasn't the focus. It mm-hmm. wasn't the focus was never like, oh, look, it's FTR doing moves that they're that the guy that used to like used to do. Right. Which is like a lame wrestling thing. Uh, instead, it was just a match. It was a fight. They and the Briscoes, the, another team that... Um, has a case for being the best tag team of the generation, um, had this match that was just phenomenal. Yeah. Like the best match of the year, one of the best matches I've ever seen tag team wise. Mm-hmm. And come to find out, like these t- two teams have never been in the ring together. I, that was insane. I, I was really surprised to learn that. Um, obviously, I mean, they're both incredibly talented tag teams, but um, their chemistry was absolutely amazing. I mean, I suppose when you're a true professional, like you really should be able to work with everybody that way. Like, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Two, two, two teams of professionals should be able to get into a ring and, and give us that. But yeah, it was just next level. It, it was fantastic. I, I was super impressed with it. I, I found it in my uh, the replies to my tweets about it because I was tweeting about the show live, the Ring of Honor show. And there were multiple people who were blown away by this match but who had never seen the Briscoes or heard of them. It's crazy. And it's wild yeah. because uh, they have literally been with uh, Ring of Honor since the very beginning. Yeah, like 20 years. 20 years of yeah. this. And they are great. Like they have done so many amazing things. They've worked with uh, all the teams that you love elsewhere. <laughs> all uh, the teams that All you the love. wrestlers that and you love. And now FTR too. And now FTR. But these guys are, are as good as anybody else. And I think that it was um, proven here. Like, you know, we, we've seen them already with the Young Bucks and so many other teams. But like, Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, like if there was any doubt that they wa- were still yeah, on that level. If you watch that match and you didn't come away, like, seeing these teams as equals no matter who won, like, then I don't think that you, you weren't paying much attention. I, I think that, um, you know, these are great tag teams. But uh, if you kind of, like, drill down into it, I think that um, Baldo FTR – um <laughs> that's dax dax and uh and jay briscoe yeah. are are individually like they are two of the best wrestlers in, yeah in, they on the planet. yeah they they would also be phenomenal so well jay i mean i i'm not really sure how much singles wrestling dax has done i don't know much about um uh, you know about his overall career but jay briscoe has had some great singles runs like he he is just a, a really fantastic wrestler so the, the highest possible recommendation for this briscoe's versus ftr match if you can track it down uh i i suppose if you're a member of honor club uh you can watch it i don't know if they've put it on youtube or whatever they should uh just a, i mean unbelievably great professional wrestling and then it ended with uh, the Young Bucks coming to the ring, mm-hmm. um, setting up a match for Wednesday right. with FTR. That's right. And um, and that match started a little 
well, not slow, but I, I was a little worried it was not living up um, to what you would expect from these two teams. But the final about 12 minutes of this match uh, was absolutely fantastic. This match was so good. The Young Bucks and FTR that even Lee Casebolt, a longtime member of the Workrate crew and like an internet friend who kind of does not like um, high spots driven wrestling of the Young Bucks style, was like, I may have to admit that the Young Bucks are a great tag team. <laughs> like the, the level of good it has to be for like Lee Casebolt to say, I, I, I may have to admit the Young Bucks are great. Which means admitting that you're wrong. Because <laughs> you, yeah, I think that you have, uh, have liked to say that they're maybe not. Um, but this is just, this is just wrestling. Like it, it's not like, you know, you don't, you can't put it into some separate box of like goofball high spots, uh, you know, I, I don't know, spot monkey, like whatever. Yeah, no, this kind is of, just good tag like, wrestling. It's just great. Yeah. And the young bucks are, are really good at, at, um, putting a match together and also, um, making sure that the timing is perfect mm-hmm. so that, all of this stuff looks really good. Yeah. So I think if you if you have a criticism of the Young Bucks, it's not really of the Young Bucks. It's of um, all the people that have followed them trying to do Young Bucks matches yeah. who are not the who Young Bucks. Who are not the Young Bucks. Like, it's very difficult. And the, the line is very thin for, like, a match that looks great uh, going to a match that looks really awful mm-hmm. because you're slightly off on all yeah. the spots and it looks so contrived mm-hmm. and, and so performative and, and so cooperative. Um, so if you're not the young bucks and you're trying to do a young bucks match, which basically everyone is now, um, <laughs> it's, it's very hard. Yeah. So like, I, I sort of like can understand, like, I don't necessarily like the influence of the young bucks, but as indiv- as a, as the young bucks, they're fucking amazing. <laughs> right. Like all the rest of you trying to do their bits are terrible. But these guys are great. So I, I don't know. Between those two matches, like it, it's very like I'd have to think about it. But like how many people have had matches of that caliber within a seven day period? Yeah. Like it's, very low. It's tough. It's tough. I mean, you're talking like maybe some people during the G1 Climax have done it. Yeah. Maybe like Masawa and, uh, and, and Kawada and people like that have done it. Um, but man, it's not a lot. No, there was like a period in during COVID where we were, Kenny had a handful of matches back to back to back. Yeah, we Ken, were, Kenny had like we a pay-per-view were, classic yeah, and then he went to Mexico. Yeah, and we had were a, all, and then, yeah, and then he came back on Dynamite and did something crazy. And yeah, so I, you, when that happens, like you, you're fully aware of it. You're I mean, just it, like, I can't, I can't believe somebody's it's, putting it's this a, together. Elite and, company though. Yeah. For sure. Elite. <laughs> See what you did there. Uh-huh. All right, so that's our top five. Um, we have a bunch of listeners' questions, so thanks, everyone. All right, so we actually solicited these questions almost a month ago, but most of them were fairly evergreen. We must have been well-intentioned. Yes, like well, we, and we were going to come thought. back after Revolution, and, and you know, then we got busy. <laughs> I don't even remember uh, why we didn't do it. I, <laughs> All right, so first question from Edgar E. He wants to know, do you think the debate about wrestling pay-per-view lengths is a little misguided? Um, I think I recall that right after Revolution, um, there was some discussion about 
Does it drag a pay-per-view down uh, when it you know starts becoming four or five hours long? Right. Um, I def- so we just had eight hours of WrestleMania. Well, like- sure, but that's a, uh, informative in a way um, because uh, for a long time, uh, WrestleMania was a single night, right? Mm-hmm. Almost forever. And it got just progressively and progressively longer to the point where I think that it was exhausting to watch. Yes, so the, it was. The one show would be six or seven hours if you combine the pre-show and all that stuff. And yeah, I mean, by the time you were at the end, like you were burned out. Yeah, I completely agree. That was not a good viewing experience. So I think that them switching it to a two-night experience really um, has shown that um, there sometimes less is more and, uh, you know... For some reason, what would have been uh, an abysmal six-hour show is uh, makes two really good three-hour shows. Yeah. Um, actually, so that's an interesting point because in actuality, I think they were closer to two four-hour shows. But in my ideal world, they probably would have been two three-hour shows because in all honesty, I feel like both of those nights, and this is not including the the pre-show, which we didn't even bother with the the first night, um, I, or the second night. I, I think they had three hours of good quality WrestleMania worthy content. Um, so each show could have cut an hour. And I know that you need bathroom breaks, you need slowdowns, you need downtimes, even even in just a three hour show. Um, but I think that the variety of matches provides that for any individual viewer. Um, not every viewer is super engaged with every match. Um, but I do think that when you have things on a major pay-per-view like that, that cause what seem to be the vast majority of the audience to sort of scratch their head and wonder, why is it on WrestleMania? Why, are, why is this on the show? It's a pretty good indication that it probably shouldn't be on the show. And I just feel like pay-per-views should, everything on a pay-per-view should be of a certain quality. Right. So the the, the issue with AEW was a little bit different, I think, because, uh, you know, I think uh, people just felt exhausted by it uh, because, not because there were parts that were boring, the opposite, right? It's like everything is... is something that you're supposed to care about and you want to care about. And I, I just don't think like human beings are geared to care about something right. for four or five hours, like intensely. Right. Yeah. And so, um, you, you want energy to be there for the main events for mm-hmm. the biggest matches. And sometimes if, if, if you provide too much, yes. um, that it's just not, people aren't capable of it. Yeah. So I think that was kind of like the feedback from AEW. And also I think that for AEW, like the danger that they can fall into is uh, how similar everything yes. is and feels, right? Yeah, that's what I was talking about, about the the, the downtime. And I think a lot of that is a, when you have a whole bunch of different styles. Right. Um, so, there is no AEW Baron Corbin match, right? <laughs> <laughs> that, that is true. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, but so, yeah, which is good and bad with their pay-per-views. I do. I do think AEW needs to bear that in mind because um, it's I think it's a matter of both. OK, what are what's the actual uh, style, physical style of the match? But also, like you were talking about, that level of emotional investment. And so you need, I think, a variety or like you said, even just 
a three or a four hour show starts to feel like a little bit too much. Right. And I, I think that, um, honestly, uh, AEW may be used to get, um, a, a better variety, uh, you know, in, in the most recent one, it feels like, you know, everything is serious. You know, they, they have, everything is a feud. Everything is people angry at each other. Oh yeah. That's there's actually, n- there's no comedy beats mm-hmm. uh, on the big shows the way they're used to be. Yeah. We actually just saw all out 2019. Like it just, we finished watching dark and it just popped up. Right. Oh yeah. On YouTube. Yeah. On YouTube. And, um, which is better than it's selecting like a Joe Rogan video or something. <laughs> like, you know, like, Here's a guy denying COVID or whatever. <laughs> but, um, yeah, we just kind of left it playing and, and you're right that it, that that show for, for example, I think did do a better job than some of the more modern pay-per-views, um, in, having a variety of different styles and definitely different levels of emotional investment. And it also is, uh, so that's one of the things like him or dislike him about Cody that was, I thought, uh, good for AEW is that whether, whatever you thought about Cody, like his segments feel very different than like a young buck segment or like if you bring private party out or something, um, Cody's doing something a little bit different. Um, and, and I thought that was good yeah, because it's a, you know, it lets your, your brain is engaging on a, a different wavelength mm-hmm. than you are watching variations of the same thing for like three or four hours, yeah. which is a huge problem. Like not just of AEW, but now, uh, ironically, I guess it was a problem for ring of honor even more so. I think where, where it's really just guys, really guys doing the same acts, yes. you know, over and over again, mm-hmm. just a various varying degrees of capabilities, but like, uh, conceptually the same kinds of people doing the same kinds of matches, which I, I just don't, I don't think that makes for the best possible experience. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I definitely would like to see them, uh, start to get back uh, to their roots of having a little bit more variation. Like I, I feel like for me, I was a little bit concerned. I'm still a little bit concerned that the success of Eddie Kingston, who I absolutely love has drawn a little more of the performers into that Eddie Kingston style, you know, the, the like extreme passion like uh, deep emotional and I that's like that I think is a bit of a problem because there's only so much of that you can watch right before you even before you kind of start saying like I don't I'm I don't even really like this for Eddie Kingston anymore like I just can't watch any more of this yeah I mean so and that was what what was great about like if I've been watching a lot of older wrestling right and then so like if you're watching like old Jim Crockett wrestling or Georgia championship wrestling, like you have Ric Flair, but not everyone is doing Ric Flair. Right. Uh, Dusty was going to come on. There's the boogie woogie man, Jimmy Valiant. And like, you know, everyone has their own kind of deal and that's what made it fun to watch. Uh, because you, you were getting a little bit of everything yeah. as opposed to, uh, you're, I think you're right. Like in, and part of that is just today's culture where it's like, people see something that's successful and immediately there's a thousand copycats. And I I think you're right. And, and Kingston is it particularly hard, right? Because, um, 
it only works because he's Eddie Kingston. Right. And you can feel what works about it is that it feels like genuine. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's great. Mm-hmm. You take the same sort of act and right. like you see through it for just a little bit mm-hmm. and it's just schlock, right? Yeah. It's, it's horseshit. It's the worst possible kind of melodrama. Mm-hmm. And so there's really very little in between when you're trying to do that style. Either it's going to hit like really hard and, and you're really going to embrace it and you're going to feel it in, right. in your soul. Or you're like, what, what is this bullshit wrestling stuff right. happening here? Right. Like that, there's no, <laughs> yeah. there's no middle for that style. And most people just don't have it. Right. You don't. And I guess there's not enough assholes anymore. So like there should be someone whose job it is in, in any kind of entertainment process, like to be like, hey, you're not doing this well. Mm-hmm. You're not good at this. Right. You're good at this over here. Let's focus in on that. Yes. Um, they might hate you for it. Right. They might cut a mean shoot interview when they leave <laughs> to go to a different promotion at right. some point. But like for the audience's sake, somebody has to assume a bad guy role and um, and protect the protect the viewer from from bad wrestling. <laughs> Do you? Um, this is possibly just me. I mean, I will readily admit all my biases, but, um, have you felt like, like not just in terms of his wrestling, but also in terms of, of his, um, delivery and performance that Kenny's left a big hole that no one has filled? Like, because I, I feel like he always, even, even in attempting to be serious, injected some levity to the sort of top echelon of AEW and and now everyone is just extremely serious about everything. Yeah, I mean there's no levity at all. I thought someone would step up in that in that upper echelon to to sort of take over that that role, but no one has. I I thought um you know that's something that Kenny Omega did that a lot of the greats did which was like yeah, they're doing a serious match, right? And and, and on the surface, maybe it's uh, it's very dramatic. Mm-hmm. But also, there's like a twinkle in their eye that like, hey, we're having fun, guys. Isn't it fun to be wrestling? Yeah, I mean, that, that's kind of what I was getting at with Stone Cold Steve Austin. Yeah. It's like there was like a joy around even the meanest stuff he did. So, yeah, Stone, uh, on the surface, Stone Cold versus Vince McMahon is a very serious wrestling sure. angle. Uh, and a lot of serious things are happening. But... That was not the feeling that you got mm, from it. Not at all. Um, and I, I guess, like you know, when you hear people talk about old wrestling, I, I so they so often get it wrong because they do have this idea that it's like, well, back then they treated it serious, and people took it like it was real, and they wanted to feel like it was real, and like nobody wanted that. Right. Like you look at the most successful people. Um, I mean, we were just talking about. Like, if you don't understand that Ric Flair is doing a comedy bit, right? maybe Ric Flair doesn't understand it always either, but, like, that's over the top. Yes. Uh, it's, it's funny. Yeah. And he's doing pratfalls in the ring and stuff. He's not, it's not, like, all serious grudge match stuff. Right, right. Uh, Dusty Rhodes is, like, he wants you to care about him mm-hmm. and uh, and have big feelings attached to him, kind of like an Eddie Kingston style. But um, he's also, like, a complete goofball. And everything he does, whether mm-hmm. he's wearing a giant hat or a big fur coat or talking about getting funky like a monkey, like it's like uh, there's comedy bits in it. Sure. And like if all you're doing is like grim face, uh, 
CM Punk style stuff. Mm-hmm. Like uh, that's the, and another, you know, not just Kingston. They're they're also molding themselves after CM Punk. It works for CM Punk, sure. But for a lot of other people, you just seem dour. Yeah. Right. Like so, you, you have to have some fun. Yeah. You have to cut some fun bits in there. Even like MJF, um, I, I'm afraid like takes it all too seriously. Like if you're the big bad wrestling heels of the past, uh, all of them comedy bits. There, are, there is comedy mixed in there. Million, right. million dollar man, all of that stuff. Like you're not supposed to take it seriously every second. Right. That just doesn't work. So I like that people are studying the old wrestling, but sometimes I think that maybe they should um, – pay a little bit more attention to like what's actually happening yeah you know like how they're actually delivering these characters in right, these moments right. right all right so got we, off we the went, pay-per-view we, track we but i, I mean i do that. i do think that i think that they go together though. Uh, how so, was that responsive to a question about well, how long i, I think are? basically <laughs> the simple answer is is don't just focus on length like i, I you could have a five-hour pay-per-view but you're gonna have to have you know you're going to have to have different beats in there, different styles. Um, you're going to have to have places where you can breathe. And so, yeah, so it's a, I do think it's misguided if you're just talking about, you know, what does the clock say? But I, I, I do think sometimes we're the exception, right? Because uh, I, I routinely have people come into my mentions because I talk about AEW Live a lot mm-hmm. on Twitter where they're like, oh, I think Rampage should be two hours and I think Dynamite should be three hours. Oh, and Lord I'm like, you. I'd like to strangle you. <laughs> like, don't even say that out loud. Like, I love that Rampage is one hour. Like, it's a great one hour. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I'm out. Yeah. And I can do if something you, else. If you feel a need to bring me more AEW, well, then bring me another hour show. Yes. Like, give me something on Saturday or Sunday. Like, Honestly, give me one more competitive Give me a show that is dark. not in the middle of my kid's bedtime. That would be great. <laughs> Saturday I, afternoon, I'll be there. <laughs> I, I mean, they're really close to delivering that. Like if if instead of just having squash matches on their dark and dark mm-hmm. elevation, do some studio interviews, do some angles underneath there. That's what these kids need to practice yeah, in. They have the studio set up for for the dark tapings i really i thought we would get i thought we would get a setup a little bit closer to like nwa I mean, power so, or so you're just you're they're very close already to delivering this uh, these additional contents and making them uh, a, more like a regular wrestling show unless like here's some extra crap that we're throwing on youtube right well, if you don't want to have to do the editing in that way i agree with you that um that the newer the younger less seasoned performers need some more experience. You could move to something like New Japan's backstage comments where, you know, you don't have to edit it into the show, but since you already have all this content on YouTube, like why not put it on there and give everybody a chance to work on being in front of the microphone, talking, coming up with the promos, figuring out how to connect uh, with an audience, with their words. Like, I think that's something that a lot of these people could use. Um, I th- find it really difficult to care about people yes. if I never hear from them. Right. So, you know, some of these people, I'm assuming they they 
AEW and themselves see a future in this promotion. They might get used a lot in the ring, but how am I ever supposed to care about this person if I, if I don't get to hear about them, if, if I don't get to hear from them? And I'm sorry, but I can't track down all your vlogs and I can't track down all your podcasts. So, like, put it inside your AEW yeah, content. Yeah, I mean, some, some of it has to be within the text of the wrestling show. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I, I think the vast majority of people are not, can't consume 10 hours of side programming right. every week, nor do they want to, nor is it the same as wrestling angles and, and and building wrestling stories mm-hmm. it's part of it it can be but like it it's not the same thing so if, if i were aw um i wish i was <laughs> connected to it in some way because like um you could have had wheeler yuda who now you're going to use in some capacity right. on television he could have been spending the last six months uh, cutting promos on dark and dark mm-hmm. elevation just for himself, mm-hmm. for his own benefit. Yes. Now he's on dynamite and learning how to do this for the first time. Mm-hmm. And that's, that sucks for him. Right. He should have been practicing. Yeah. Lee Moriarty should be on dark every week mm-hmm. cutting a promo. Daniel Garcia should be on dark every week cutting promos. That's just the nature of it. They right. should be setting up miniature feuds and, you don't even necessarily have to talk about him on Dynamite or Rampage, but like a mini feud with like a, another undercard guy on Dark and Dark Elevation just to get the reps in. Right. Like nobody goes out, like Tony Khan should know this. Nobody goes out to play on Sunday in the NFL for his Jacksonville Jaguars without practicing during the week. Right. And practicing for years. Yes. Like, you know, they practice in college and high school every every day. Mm-hmm. Like these guys need the practice. Yes. Um, so they, and they have the setup for it. Yep. So I'm going to talk to Tony about this. <laughs> See if I can make it happen. All right. Um, so Jamie Lechuga, um, actually he started his questions with where do we predict that Cody will end up? I predict WWE. Yeah. Well, and we had predicted WWE a long time ago. Um, but I'm, I'm actually going to tweak that a little bit. And ask you, what do you see uh, Cody's future, or at least his immediate future, being in in WWE? Um, well, it seems like they're going to treat him like a big deal. Mm-hmm. Here's the f- opening segment on WWE Raw. Mm-hmm. Got a long interview segment, which is like the ultimate sign that you're a big star uh, for WWE. So between those two things, and also the fact that reportedly, like I I do not know this for a fact. Um, and neither probably do most of the people reporting it. I'm doing quote marks <laughs> that reportedly, according to him, he got a huge contract, right? Okay. Uh, money contract. All right. And so that typically that that's going to dictate your push on some level, right? Cause Vince and the company don't want to be paying, um, millions of dollars a year for someone that's, you know, an opening act. Right. So, um, between his ability, how they've used him already and the contract he signed, I'm thinking they've got big things in mind for him. Um, obviously plans can change. Maybe he'll do something they don't like, but uh, I think right now it looks like he's going to be a main event act. And, um, I think he's, he's got the ability to do it. And I think that it's, uh, the whole purpose of the, these kind of switches back in the day is just for this. Like Cody is new there. Mm-hmm. He's fresh to the audience. He's fresh to all those wrestlers. Every single feud that he might be able to get involved in is something new and exciting. Uh, 
I, I think the potential is, uh, you know, through the roof for, for him. Okay. So I saw a lot of different ideas floated around online and I'm wondering, so I see a difference between somebody who walks right in and as he did said, he's got his eye on the championship and, and I see a difference between someone who can just challenge outright and then someone who has to go through something like winning money in the bank. So do you see him as someone who can just step up and say, I'm here now and I want, I want that shot? I, I think he could. Yeah. You, I mean, you think they see him that, you know, big enough to do that. I mean, it's all about how that you present him. Uh, you know, that, you think they're presenting him that way. It seems like it. Okay. Like they, they could do it that way. And he beat Seth Rollins, who is a top act there. Right. So he's automatically has credibility behind him. Mm-hmm. And, um, but you know, they do have their mechanisms sure. like you're, you're pointing out. So there, I don't think there would be anything wrong with him going to money in the bank okay. and winning it. And, you know, or, or maybe that plays into the storyline, like Roman Reigns or, or, doesn't want to face him. He's like, you don't deserve it. And he has to earn it. Gotcha. That's a, I mean, that's a standard baby face move is to, you know, to be deserving, to be shown to be deserving. Like you don't want him to be like, seem like he's getting something mm-hmm. unless you want him to be a heel. Okay. Like that should be the psychology. A lot of times they don't get it quite right, but well, I... there's nothing wrong with him as a good guy being like, okay, I'll prove myself to you. Okay. All right. I put it out in the universe on Twitter because I believe in, you know, you, you put out what you want to happen. Um, he specifically mentioned his dad being cheated out of the belt by champion's advantage. Um, I would love to see him as a, a conquering hero somehow be the, the catalyst for removing that god-awful WWE champion's advantage. I hate that. I think it is the laziest booking tool ever invented. I cannot stand it. Nobody else that I watch uses it. It's time for it to go. So I'm putting it out in the universe. If uh, Cody Rhodes could maybe be the, the baby face catalyst for finally ending uh, Champions Advantage in WWE, that would make me incredibly happy. And I guarantee it would make me more likely to watch WWE wrestling. All right. Um, Jamie also wanted to know what you think is next for CM Punk. Well, I mean, it, it appears that, that what's going to be next is a push into the, the title scene. So do you see him more likely to feud or to go after Hangman Page, who holds on to his belt a little bit longer? Or do you think Adam Cole takes the belt and he goes after Adam Cole? Or do you think it's even longer term than that? You know, there's... There's so many ways they could go. I mean, it seemed pretty obvious that um, eventually, like the Adam Cole within the elite story is kind of building to some kind of uh, big split. The Bullet Club is not okay kind of split. And Kenny versus Adam Cole, I think, was the ultimate plan. Right. Now, um, who can say where Kenny Omega stands physically or mentally or like, you know, so that's a a monkey wrench into it. I, I don't have a good feeling for how what CM Punk would want to do, what they want to do with him. Does he want to be a baby face or a heel? Like I think he's a better performer as a heel. Mm-hmm. But he may be in the position as like kind of the the grand old man of AEW. Right. Where it's like you can't get you can't really make him a heel. Right. Like, you know, the way that Ric Flair insisted on being a heel late in his career when no one wanted, like, you know, <laughs> no one was actually treating him like a heel. Right, you right. You can't. He's, you're Rick, he's Ric Flair. Yeah. Um, I think CM Punk may be in that territory. Okay. So 
I don't know. I mean, I don't yeah. really see where the stories go. Like, I think that the CM Punk stuff doesn't really connect with the Kenny Cole page stuff. No. So I think if Punk took but, the title. But of course, just the idea of getting Kenny and CM Punk, I think, is interesting to people. I mean, not to me, but I'm just, <laughs> I'm just different. Like, right. so, um, but I mean, it depends on if, do you think that Kenny and Adam Cole and the Young Bucks can carry a feud without the title belt being in the picture? I do, actually. Right. So uh, I think, with the AEW audience, I really do. So kind of like CM Punk feels like possibly a Cody in a way in that um, he's got his orbit of mm-hmm. the guys he's working with. Right. And then Kenny and the Bucks are over over here doing their own thing and their mm-hmm. own blood feud. Right. And Punk is messing around with Kingston or, or whoever. Like right. So you're moving the title belt into a different group of wrestlers for a little bit. Yeah, um, I like that. I would like that. I would like that a lot. Yeah. All right. Um, next question comes from Lee Casebolt. And this was... To give you some context, this this question came in right after Revolution. Has any match ever been improved by thumbtacks? <laughs> this is, of course, after they introduced thumbtacks into what was really kind of turning out to be sort of a classic match between CM Punk and, and MJF. Um, yeah, they had this great dog collar match yeah. going, and it was bloody and violent and felt primal and real mm-hmm. and then it's like here's this little bag of thumbtacks yeah. uh to me uh, that actually like lessened it it made it feel it's supposed to make it feel more violent right that's the idea yeah. uh, to me it made it feel like oh now this is bullshit wrestling bullshit without a doubt that match was that match was not improved by thumbtacks <laughs> no so i mean so i think it's just been diminishing returns almost entirely since we first saw mick foley do it in wwf uh, you know, I think the first time we see it, you're like, oh, wow, this is crazy. And then as more and more people do mm-hmm. it, like in to the point where uh, probably a thousand people have done it. Right. Like, so you're not impressed by it anymore. Yeah, I'm gonna it's have just to a say, dumb spot. If you're going to do it, if you absolutely insist that you're going to do it, you are going to have to do something new that surprises me. And I will say that Britt Baker and Thunder Rosa managed to do that. Um, there was that really interesting um, spot where they threw down the thumbtacks and then eventually, like, they um, smashed their hand over and over again into the thumbtacks to get uh, away from a hold. And, like, that was kind of new to me. Like, I didn't, I hadn't really uh, seen anybody use thumbtacks like that because usually it's like right. the backdrop into them or. So it, it felt. That felt different. And I, I do think that Britt Baker Thunder Rosa match was one where it potentially did benefit. And I, I think part of that is like, so you, you would not have expected it with Britt Baker. That, right. That's what that's makes the, it the effective, first one. right? Yeah, that, the first um, match. The, the first time that they, the, their first match together when they used the thumbtacks, like, yes. I couldn't re- actually remember ever having seen a woman go into right. thumbtacks. I'm not sure if it had happened before, but it, I had not seen it. So, yeah, so that that made it effective. Any other time she does it going forward, it, yeah, it's just a bullshit spot I'm saying spot if you're going to do it, you're going to have to find so something it, new. It's kind of like, um, you know, it's all about expectations too. Um, so you can get uh, those like glass tubes to the head, like they just they don't mean anything after there's like a hundred of them. Right. You know, it's just a spot. Right. You're just doing a spot and there's a glass tube involved. Um, but when Matt Cardona did it, it felt different. When uh, David Arquette did it, it felt different. 
not just because he almost died, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, cause you don't expect that. Right. That's, that seems uh, outside the boundaries of what they would be comfortable with. And that's what gives it some kind of primal feeling Right. with uh, punk and MJF. It just felt like a wrestling spot yeah. in a way where the rest of the match actually felt different than a regular wrestling match. So they just like took something special and brought it back into the ordinary, if that makes sense. Yeah. So yeah, I'd, I'm with Lee Casebold. I'm, I'd like to retire that for the most part from, from wrestling. You know? Yeah. I, I think we can go a while without uh, seeing it again. All right. Um, uh, Rich at Richie 11 PM wants to know, do you prefer Saturday or Sunday pay-per-views? King of Pokemon, right? Yeah. Right. Pokemon go. Um, I don't know. Like a, as a, a person who's watched, Lots of sports, boxing, MMA, wrestling. Um, I've seen them on, on Saturdays and Sundays. For me personally, it doesn't make a big difference. I do like kind of always like the separation. So like in theory, um, there can be a big UFC on Saturday and you get the wrestling on Sunday. Hmm. You know, So the only reason I would say wrestling on Sunday is so it's not competing with sports. Gotcha. I think I, I I generally prefer them on Saturday, and that's because um, I don't have anything to do Saturday night. I can take Saturday night and just be like, you know, I don't have to do anything. Sunday, it's always like I got to make sure that the laundry's done so the kids have something to wear. I got to make sure anything that needs to be done for the week is done. Um, you know, I got to – everybody's got to get showered and, and ready and, and – be ready, you know, for the next week to start. And like Sunday always feels like there's more things for me to do that are competing against whatever I'm watching. So just from a personal standpoint, like Saturdays are easier for me. Um, And there is a big portion of the year for where like, you know, Sunday is also uh, NFL on NBC. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's a tough competition. Right. But I would say just for me, Saturdays are easier um, the time thing doesn't really matter. I mean, we have teenagers now who stay up far too late. We stay up far too late. The time thing really isn't an issue. Like, we're going to stay up late no matter what. <laughs> I know a lot of people are just like, oh, I'm up so late and I got to go to work on Monday. And that's not really um, a thing for us. And I don't, I can't, I don't think any pay-per-view except like occasionally a UFC keeps us up past normal bedtime. So. Um, uh, Richie also wants to know if we're going to go to Vegas for double or nothing. Uh, I guess no. It looks like it's not going to work out. Yeah, it's too bad. I thought, I thought we had a, a, a line on some tickets that didn't come through and then, uh, we didn't buy them. So, you know, we're kind of. Yeah, I'm not doing secondary market. It's it's just too much. And yeah, we, we didn't make that. Like early on in AEW, we went to the first show, right, in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. And then like that night, uh, we bought plane tickets to Chicago. Oh, yeah, they had <laughs> announced the show. And, but... then, and then we did getting tickets to Chicago. It turned out to be hard. <laughs> so oh, we, right. We had the plane tickets and like we we're having to Oh, we had out... to do secondary market for double or nothing too. Like, yeah, um, yeah I mean, I've been to all the pay-per-views. Um, I'm pretty sure Kenny Omega is not going to be a double or nothing, um, you know, based on reports that, you know, I, I hate to admit it, but it does make a big difference for me. Like, um, Kenny's matches are generally 
like the highlight of, of any show that I go to. So I've only actually been, we've been to a zillion live shows and I've only one of them hasn't uh, featured a, a Kenny Omega match, which is, you know, sort of wild to, to think about, but, it, but it's true. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I can say that, um, I, you know, I'm not going to get that, that upset if I, if I miss a, a show that, you know, Kenny's not going to be on. So um, we'll be looking forward to all out or, something beyond that and and hopefully he'll be back and um we'll make those trips okay and um kind of sort of a little bit related uh chris at crypt top um says that he wants to ask about attending live big or popular wrestling events he says he's never had the chance do we have any tips or trick uh trips that tricks that we've learned or wish we knew earlier on about buying tickets or parking or merch lines etc Okay. Oh, a big one for us is if you're traveling to a show, like not just driving there and driving back, but like actually flying to another city or, or need to stay the night somewhere. Um, we started making sure that we always stayed somewhere where we could walk to the venue. Yeah, that was a, the biggest difference. Huge difference. Because it eliminates almost all of those points of contention you're talking about. Yes. Like, where do you park? Uh, you know, am I, one time we went to Daytona and got stuck in the parking garage. For like an hour. Yeah, so I mean, like, it could, there's a lot of things that added levels of difficulty mm-hmm. with uh, with driving to And that the, was after having to find a parking garage right. because that particular venue didn't really have any right. additional parking. And then also I've been to events where... Um, you're trying to, you're in a taxi or Uber line that's endless. Right. Yes. So like when you, when the event ends, like, um, it's not always easy to depart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, if you stay at a hotel that's walking distance to the arena, like you are golden. Oh, it's huge. It's well, I mean, I learned that advantage. covering these sports, yeah. like for, for Bleacher Report, like I would, if you can't walk to the place, like you've screwed up. Right. I mean, I, I you know, I'll walk a pretty good distance, um, over having to deal with, with parking and, and just the circus that that can become. Um, what's this, some other stuff that we've sort of learned? If you're going to Daly's place and you can get a, a stage seat, do that. <laughs> yeah, Daly's place in Jacksonville is uh, the seats on the stage are probably the best seats I mean, honestly, anywhere. for a little while, that was a little bit of a secret. Like, we would, we would decide kind of last minute that we decided that we would want to go and, and there would still be stage seats available. Like I think people didn't like know that they were so, that those seats were so good or I'm not really sure. But one time we went, found the seats that we had purchased. This was our first trip to Daly's place. And, uh, you, your seat was obstructed by a pillar. Mm-hmm. And Thanks I, a lo- lot, Tony right, I looked out and I was like, wow, those seats on the stage look really good. And I got on my um, Ticketmaster app really fast, and some of them were available. And I just bought them while we were already sitting in our seats. And then and we just went over, and of course there's like a, got to get a wristband, and there's a special entrance to the stage. And it was absolutely incredible. And from there on out, it was like, we got to get those stage seats. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one thing I would say about um, attending any kind of uh, combat sport live is uh, whether it's boxing, uh, MMA or, or wrestling is that um, I would not spend the premium on floor seats unless you're front. unless you're the front two or three rows. Mm-hmm. After that, it becomes 
it's a, it's almost harder to see on yep. a, in a floor seat than you, you in the early tiers of um, the regular arena kind of tiered seating. Um, in fact, uh, even if you're higher up in the arena, if you're like in the first the first row of like the the second group of seats mm-hmm. is better than like the middle of the yep. first tier of seats for sure. So um, it's it's all about like having, vantage point. Yes, having yeah. few things between you and the ring. So whether it doesn't really matter how high you are, it's how few people there are mm-hmm. between you and the, the ring. And so I, I think that's something to recall. So if you're like, if there's like a floor, a 100 section, a 200 section, a 300 section, that front row of the 300 section is an awesome seat. Yeah. 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 We've had, we've had that a couple of times, but yeah, so some people have figured that out. At WWE. So you're starting to yeah, see it's the, harder. those front it's row tickets. It's especially harder to get like four tickets. Yeah. So. so it used to be, you could get the, that front row of two section two or three. It's the same price of any other seat in section two or yes. three. So it'd be a huge bargain. Yeah, now they're and way now, <laughs> now, now they're pricing those up. Uh, everything, you know, capitalism. Yeah. Destroying um, us all. It's a, uh, it's interesting too. We've done, we've done this a couple of times, both once at, for a WWE show and another time, I think for an AEW show, um, they actually didn't immediately sell the top section and we didn't really find anything that we sort of liked and we waited and then they opened up the top section. Um, and so like, you know, occasionally if it's, you know, if it's maybe something close by or, or you, you could take it or leave it, um, you can hold out. And if they, if they sell well, they may open up more seats and that might give you a better option than, than what was available when you uh, first looked. So we've always, if we weren't that determined to get to a show, if it was like, oh, well, if we can get good seats, we'll go. Um, waiting has sometimes really paid off for us. Okay. So I'm going to say something that is probably not popular. Okay. Um, it's not in my opinion being reflected here. But I would not plan your bathroom or snack breaks for the women's match. <laughs> Everybody plans. Yeah, like, unfortunately, that is true. That that that's not just it's like that is just observation. I'm not ob- I'm not being snarky. Yeah, it's People observed bail, fact. As soon as uh, the, the as match. soon as the women come out, everybody heads to the bathroom. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I. We, I always have, I, I personally am a big fan of dehydrating and then not having to go to the restroom during <laughs> a show. But, uh, if, if you do need a, a snack break, my, my youngest son like insists on concessions and whatnot. So, um, it's best to like think about the card yeah, and find, find something, find something in, your, else. in your head that you don't really care that much about. Um, and, and go then, but honestly, the women's match is the worst time to do it. <laughs> Um, that's not my reflection on how I feel about women's wrestling. That's just what we've seen. Yeah. Um, merch lines, uh, they're crazy and we don't do them. Um, you can get everything that you want online these days. The, about the only thing that you can't get is if they do make like a special shirt for that event. For that event. And let me tell you, those are the ones that are going to be the best stocked. Um, a lot of times we've gone to AEW events and they're about the only thing you can get. I mean, they'll have like Jericho and Punk and then mostly just the shirts for that event or like general AEW shirts. Um, chances are you can skip that giant line at, yeah, before the, the show starts, the come back later and, and grab. We actually, 
We, I know if you've been listening to the podcast, you know about the, the show where one of our uh, sons got really sick um, during the show. And I had to go get, I basically had to buy him new clothes at, at the merch line. And I, you know, going out in the middle of the show, like there's no line, there's no one there. And I was still like, I wanted to get uh, either like Kenny or Jericho. I was still able to get the Jericho shirt that I wanted. Um, and, you know, get him <laughs> cleaned up and changed in the bathroom. But I just, I don't, see wasting time uh standing in those giant lines um when everything that you would want is is available online so um the one time we did it was to try to buy a daryl um at the new japan show and literally sold out like as we <laughs> as we were approaching the the that is a person right in front of me got the last yeah. <laughs> uh, Darryl. um yeah so that that also reminds me so like um, it's really up to your temperament, but like, I don't see a benefit in being one of those people standing in a long line waiting to go into the place like oh, just no. as it opens. Mm-mm. Um, honestly, if you just show up like just a little bit before it starts, you just breeze right through. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it saves you a lot of time and aggravation. Like it, it, there's no reason to stand in a line to go into a venue. Um, it just, there's no benefit to it. Right, right. Um, yeah, we've actually, um, we've had a couple of shows where they have had matches that they were taping both before and after the show. And, um, after a couple of shows, like we just sort of realized like, wow, that's just, it's just too much. Like, so we stopped worrying about missing those matches that they were taping before the live show um, generally didn't stay for the stuff that they were taping afterwards. Um, we sound like a bunch of stick in the muds, but yeah, like it's true that leaving before, while they're filming like some kind of like yeah, squash well, match, like between a, a wrestler from the AEW mid card and somebody you've never heard of, right? like you can be getting out of there yeah. and then you're not waiting in traffic. So I, you know, I think I, you know, I, yeah, a little stick in the mud, but here's the thing. Having done, having had some incidents at, at shows, um, it can ruin the entire experience to like go to a show, love a show, have a great time, and then spend hours waiting for, you know, an Uber to come and get you. Um, or to like in Daytona, spend an hour just stuck in traffic because literally everyone is leaving at the same time. And, and, you know, you can only get out of a parking garage at a certain speed. So it it really can just ruin your entire experience. You can walk away from it feeling differently than if you had, um, had a smooth time getting in, loved the show and had a smooth time getting out. So after a million shows, I, I have, we have basically just found the best way to make sure that we get in smoothly, just concentrate and love the, the live show that we're at and, and get out smoothly. So uh, to me, that's really important because I, you know, I've seen people online after, you know, WrestleManias and, and after big shows bitching for hours about waiting 
for that for that Uber or that cab or to get out of a, a large parking area that's there's become a giant standstill. Like Yeah, I mean I think most famously is the 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 WrestleMania in, in New York, New oh, Jersey, right. right? Where Oh gosh, that was a disaster. Yeah. I think David Bixon's band is still waiting for <laughs> transportation. I'm not sure. He may just live there. But we, I mean, we've seen that. We've definitely seen that at, at, at other smaller locations oh, yeah. as well. Like, um, and I just think that uh, missing a little extra wrestling, um, it, it, it's, it's definitely worth it to make the whole experience smooth. Agreed. All right. This one is for you. John B. wants to know, what is your process with starting a book? Do you make a list of topics or do you just keep the ideas in your head? Um, both. <laughs> um, yeah, the, I, don't, I don't know. So like I, I'm kind of struggling right now to, to come up with a new book idea for myself. Okay. And so it's, it's definitely hard because having done it four times, like I, I know that whatever you choose, you're going to be committed to being deeply involved with right. for like six months or a year or longer. And so um, you can't like do it real casually and just decide on something uh, you, you don't want to. And then you'd be like a couple months in and realize you hate it right? or you, you or you hate the person that you're doing a project with or, <laughs> or whatever the case may be. So um it, it is it is hard, and I have a, a a list of probably like ten different topics that I'm sort of interested in, and I'll start doing the research on one of them. Um, I've got partial research on several projects, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I'm not sure what what I'll end up doing. Um, I, I also like have done like extensive like phone calls and discussions with some wrestlers and an MMA fighter that I was maybe going to do a book with a, bi- a biography similar to the Ken Shamrock book, and. You just have to like kind of figure out, am I going to enjoy working with this person? Are they going to enjoy working with me? How easy or hard is it going to be? Does it seem like they remember, they have a good recall for things that happen? If they don't, and one of the guys I talked to doesn't, it's just like, it it may not be worth it. Right. Um, Because, you know, they just have a few stories that they can tell that they tell in all their interviews, Mm -hmm. but they don't really remember much about what happened in 1986 right 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 um maybe that's the person that's you got it with wrestling especially you have to determine is this person just completely full of shit Mm -hmm. do i want to be attached to something that's filled with wrestling lore or is it going to be a real thing right that's those are my kind of concerns yeah yeah and then with like well you have to i know i mean you've had several calls with with wrestlers before and it's like they're there aren't a lot of wrestling books like Shamrock and wrestlers are used to uh, writing books and, or, you know, writing books with people in, in which they're just like, this is, this is my version of the story. It's the only version right. of the story. So and I, I know you don't like to do that. Right. I mean, I'm not interested in putting my name on that. Right. right. Like I want to, if I, if my name is going to be on something, I want it to be, um, as real as I can make it mm-hmm. um, and, and something more than just like a, a shoot interview that you've transcribed. Right. Um, so that, that's kind of where, where I sit with it. And then it's just, there, there's also, you have to consider all the, the difficulties. Like, so I'm looking at dusty roads as a, 
as a potential topic. Mm-hmm. And it's it's going to be easy to write about Dusty Rhodes in the 80s. Right. Like all the, the actual wrestling that he was involved with is on videotape. All of the other performers have talked a lot about him. I've talked to some of the performers about him. I've talked to him. Like that, that part um, we have a pretty firm understanding of. Right. You start looking back at Dusty Rhodes in the 70s, mm-hmm. Dusty Rhodes in the late 60s. Now all of a sudden um, you've got significant difficulties that don't exist in, in the rest of it. So then so you have to determine, can I even do this project? Right, right. Um, so those are the kind of things I'm I'm thinking about. Um, some, sometimes you look at a project and think like, oh, that's a really cool project, mm-hmm. but not for me. Gotcha. You know? So one of the things I noticed that you didn't bring up at all is whether or not you think you can sell it. Is that, do you not even consider that? Do you not care? No, it's not my primary thought. Interesting. I mean, probably it should be. <laughs> um, no, I don't usually think about that. Um, and, and it's also difficult to, to, to understand, like, I, I would have thought like my books that sold the worst were the two that I would have thought were, would have sold the best. Gotcha. Like, uh, shooters, uh, the toughest men in professional wrestling, I uh-huh. thought for sure was going to be a huge hit. Uh, it's by far my worst selling book. Right. Right. Um, so I don't, Unfortunately, that's the kind of stuff that you sort of gravitate right. towards. Yeah. Well, so uh, to me, like I, I don't do this. If you're doing it to make a bunch of money, that's probably yeah. the wrong path, right? Yeah. I mean, um, I, yeah, I, I do. I, unless you get very lucky. Right. Like, so I, I do it because like, I think the topic's interesting or I think it's like, um, in the case of like Ken Shamrock, it's like something that needs to be preserved, like. I was just thinking of it almost as like a responsibility. Like mm-hmm. um, I'm sitting here like at the foundational period of a brand new sport right. that's like become a big sport. And yeah. maybe in the future is like, it is like football or something, you know, right. it's, and I have the opportunity to tell like the real story of one of the people who created this. Right. Um, I don't know. It felt like an obligation, mm-hmm. especially as, um, more documentary and media stuff like becomes the official glossy version of right, the story. Right? right. Like, uh, almost to the point where you're not, you don't get any real documentary right, st- right. stuff anymore. Cause uh, the athlete isn't gonna like Kevin. I remember Kevin Durant, like was the executive producer of his documentary on Showtime. <laughs> right. That was the first time I remember being cognizant of that. Right. And it's just like, Okay, hmm. so they're not covering <laughs> nothing real is happening here. Yeah, like it's a, it's not not that it's not real, but he's showing you the part of himself that he sure. wants to, right? Sure, yeah. I mean, that's what I was talking about with the wrestlers and, who are yes. used to say this this is what happened because because I say that's what happened. <laughs> and you see it like more and more in in wrestling too, like if yeah. you, um, with the the podcast revolution. Uh, and I'm not saying that these podcasts aren't good and entertaining, but like. Um, Conrad is not going to challenge Jeff Jarrett on something. It, you know, they, they might have a fake discussion about or, or argument, right? But he's right. not pushing him into areas that he doesn't want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Like if he doesn't want to talk about his family or his m- money or disagreements that he's had with people, if he wants to keep it positive, that that's what they're going to do. Right, right. Um, that's not real life. Mm-hmm. So um, 
yeah, I don't know. Like if you have the chance to tell a real story, I think you have to take it whether or not other people are coming along for that journey with you. Like one of the projects I really want to do is about a pro wrestler who was a football player in the 1920s. And, um, and these football, it's kind of like the opposite of shooters where, where it's like, instead of focusing in on the real wrestlers, here are the early wrestlers who made this explicitly a work, right? you know, and the three, three of the big ones were football players early on in the 1900s. Like, I think that's interesting. Okay. Nobody else is going to. You don't think anyone <laughs> no, else is coming no, on that ride? No, but it doesn't, that's not, wouldn't keep me from doing it. All right. Okay. Well, that's it for the questions. And uh, so coming up next week, um, we're looking at, well, we have Dynamite Like Normal, which, by the way, that's going to be a stacked show. If you haven't seen that card, you should check oh, it out. And what did they announce then? Oh, it's the Moa Joe and Suzuki, but it's not just that. There's, this is like, this dynamite, it looks incredible yeah, on so paper. Yeah, so Tony Khan announced uh, during Rampage, I guess, that uh, Samoa Joe was going to fight Suzuki. Yeah, I think Excalibur just threw it out there. It's like, oh, and by the way, next week. <laughs> and I started Googling, like, how far away is New Orleans? <laughs> I mean, we, we had actually even talked about going to that show because it is a drivable show right. for us. But, I mean, dynamites are so hard, middle of the week. Like, yeah, it's really hard. You have to miss two work and school days, like... Best, unless it's like right in your town, right? Yeah. So, like you'd have to make a go of it, and then they had they have a live Friday show too, so it's possible we could have really made it a, a wrestling weekend. But I don't know; it's just so hard to to put together at the last minute. Yeah. Um, Peter told us two weeks ago that Samoa Joe was going to fight <laughs> Suzuki. Like you don't have to tell everyone, Tony. You Khan. couldn't have told us two weeks ago because Samoa Joe wasn't even here. I mean, he could have told us. <laughs> I mean, come on. Just a little heads up. I'll keep, I can keep a secret. But that live Friday rampage is Battle of the Belts. They've already announced that all the belts are, are going to be defended there. And we know that Hangman Adam Page has a rematch against Adam Cole. And it's in Dallas. And so he has announced that it is going to be a Texas death match. Now, my question for you is, is this it for Hangman Adam Page? Is Does Adam Cole win this time? I, yeah, so I don't have a good feel for it. I know that, um, you know, Tony Khan highly rates Adam Cole, and a lot of the audience does. Um, I really like Adam Cole as a character on Being the Elite. <laughs> he seems like an, probably he's a good guy. Uh, his his fiance Britt Baker, is a tremendous. I've enjoyed talking to her in interviews. I'm saying all this to avoid saying um, I don't really like the wrestling style of Adam Cole. It's right. not my style of wrestling. Yeah. The, the kind of, um, uh, it's like the worst of bullshit NXT stuff mm-hmm. um, where it's just like so many false finishes. Yeah. It's so soft. Uh, there's so many weird facial expressions. Like I, it just doesn't click for me. Yeah. So um, I'm not really sure where they're going either. Like I don't understand why he always says story time with Adam Cole <laughs> and then there's no story. <laughs> Like his microphone work is like nothing. There's no, yeah. he's not doing any great talking. So he's like story time with Adam Cole. And then it's like, he doesn't tell a story. No, no. Like, where's the story, Adam Cole? <laughs> I don't know. It's not, he's not my thing. I would not make him <laughs> my world champion. Yeah. There's a lot of things about that that feels weird to me. Can like trying to think of Adam Cole is like, I don't feel like he looks like an AEW champion. I think that it's a little strange that you would put your top belt on on somebody who 
you more or less defeated in every metric when they were the champion of your competition. Like, you know, that seems like a little strange to me. Yeah. So like a, that was kind of mentioned by the acclaimed uh, when they were uh, dissing Samoa, Samoa Joe. Samoa Joe, right. It's like, yeah, like this was the guy across the way Yeah. when we were kicking their ass. But like for a, a large chunk of the time, it, it was Adam Cole. And so I, that does feel a little, a little bizarre to me. And then, but then at the same time, I feel like they haven't done much with the potential of a champion hangman Adam Page either. And I don't, I, I'm afraid that, that they've given up on him in, in that sense. But another part of it, though, is that I just, I feel storyline-wise, this was a big misstep for, for hangman Adam Page. Like, thus far, he has mostly reacted to people's challenges to him, Right. Uh, Brian Danielson, um, uh, the murder hog monster, deciding that he, that he'd make it, you know, a Texas death match. Adam Cole demanding um, a, a match. Adam Cole demanding a rematch. Now, Hangman Adam Page has come out and put this stipulation of a Texas death match. No one else asked for, right? And it feels strange to do it against a guy who uses cheating and interference to win his matches. You've now met him in in a match in which he can do all of that with uh, no consequences. And I mean, I know Ad, I know Hangman Adam Page can too, but that's not how he wrestles. I mean, so I think that we've seen a huge development of Adam Page as a performer. I think like he he absolutely is has become a world class pro wrestler. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just do think that like kind of like some of the beats have been off. Like yeah. if you set aside Lance Archer, which was like one of those obvious like filler title matches. Sure. Like there was no chance that Lance Archer was winning the title. It's no, not but a, I a like the fact that he made the challenge and Hangman, you know, accepted sure, it because he's what, not going to back down. Right. But so what, what I'm getting at, though, is that um, I feel like Adam Page is kind of uh, presented as a pure babyface character. Mm-hmm. You know that or at least that's how the the crowd was responding to him. So it, it does feel weird that his two rivals, since he's become champion, have been uh, Brian Danielson and then Adam Cole, who are both wrestlers that the crowd likes. Yeah. Right. So it hasn't really been a chance for Page to play to his strength because it's not him against a heel; it's him against like a tweener or like you know <laughs> guys who are pretend heels but who everyone loves. Right. It's it's not. It, it's difficult, yeah. right? Because, uh, I mean, does the crowd like Paige more than they like Brian Danielson or Adam Cole? Like, I'm not sure. Um, so you're putting him in a position where he can't really thrive, I don't think, the way he he's kind of geared to. Um, so it's it, it's tough. I, yeah. I, for As far as Adam Cole goes, it's just really hard for me to think because the, the world champion, it's fake wrestling, but mm-hmm. still the world champion has to be able to represent like this is the best person in the company. Yeah. That's what it is. This is the best wrestler in the company. And I just don't think because a AEW has become such a shark tank, it's like, can you buy that? Like he's not even the best guy that debuted the night he debuted. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right. like he's not better than John Moxley or Brian Danielson. Right. You know, CM Punk and Eddie Kingston and uh, Kenny when he returns and the, like you know I just don't see him on that level. Yeah. He's a TNT level guy, uh, maybe. Yeah. So is that a prediction or just your personal feeling? That's my personal feeling. Yeah. I, I feel like there's other people who um, are wrong. <laughs> 
and, <laughs> and, and see him that way. And then, of course, if Kenny is returning and they're thinking of the storyline being some kind of battle over uh, the elite. I guess. And, and like a, a separation between the Young Bucks and Kenny and Adam Cole and Red Dragon and that being a feud. Maybe they feel like they need the title belt to carry that. Mm, um, I know. don't think they do. I'm not sure. They I definitely do feel like that's a that's a deep storyline that people that the AEW audience especially would get behind, and you don't need any belts, right? In in any of that. Um, uh, my my hope is that um, Adam Page retains, but I I don't feel very confident in it. All right, but well, maybe we'll come back here and talk about it after it happens. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, I I guess we'll see, and hopefully. We will be back here to talk about something like, you know, before another whole quarter of the year passes. (laughs) All right. Sounds good.